You're listening to messages from Cuyahoga Valley Church in Broadview Heights, Ohio. If you're looking for more resources or want to get in touch, please head to our website at www.cvconline.org. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your day and help you experience new life in Christ. A few years ago, I was at an Indians game, and I was in the bleachers, and I kind of looked over to my left, and I'm going, that guy's got an interesting t-shirt. What do you got on? And he had this t-shirt on. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it's got the little brownie elf, which is the mascot for the Cleveland Browns. And then he's holding um, a sword, which is representative of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And he's got some red and blue on. He's got the feather here, which is representing the Cleveland Indians. And so uh, this T-shirt is about that. This is about that. It's about the Browns and the Cavs and the Indians. And you're going to hear that phrase a lot. Not so much about a T-shirt, but you're going to hear that phrase today. This is about that. Uh, That happens all the time in the Bible. This is about that. Uh, In the Old Testament, there's a Passover lamb. And this is about that. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the lamb of God, who died on a cross to take away the sins of the world. This is about that. We have bread and wine. And that is about the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. This is about that Uh, a vine and branches this is about that the vine and the branches are about Jesus and us as his followers staying connected to him so that we can bear fruit this is about that and today we're going to take a look at marriage and we're going to discover that marriage is a this is about that thing too Marriage is actually a picture of the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is his bride. So when you see marriage, it's a this is about that thing. And you got to keep that in mind as we work through, quite frankly, a pretty challenging passage of Scripture today. So I want you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start with verse 18, and then we're going to make our way down through the rest of the passage. In verse 32 of this passage, it actually says, This mystery is profound, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. The mystery of marriage is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This is about that. So what I want to say today is that make, in your mind, in your heart, in your homes, make marriage mean Jesus. Make marriage mean Jesus. Make marriage mean Jesus. A wife is supposed to learn something about how Jesus loves her by watching how her husband loves her. And a husband is supposed to learn something about how he's supposed to respond to Christ by watching how his wife responds to him. And 
children and family members and friends and neighbors and co-workers are supposed to see Jesus in the church when they see your marriage and when they see my marriage. So this mystery is great. But I'm talking about Christ in the church, so make marriage mean Jesus. And as we explore this relationship between wives and husbands today, just don't get lost in the weeds. Keep that big picture in mind. This is about that. Marriage is about Christ in the church. Now, we're beginning a brand new series today called uh, War and Peace. And over the next six weeks, including today, we're going to go verse by verse through the rest of the book of Ephesians. And we're going to talk about war and peace in marriage and then war and peace in the home between parents and children and war and peace in the marketplace. And then we're going to spend some time talking about how the enemy, the devil and the demons, try to leverage uh, conflict in relationships. And we'll talk about war and peace when it comes to spiritual warfare. But today we're focused on war and peace in marriage. And we're going to see some concepts and some words in the passage today that fr- some of you, frankly, will not like. We're going to see phrases like, the husband is the head of the wife. And we're going to see things like, wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Now, before we dive into the scriptures, I just want to remind you that people who know Jesus are supposed to be countercultural. We're supposed to be revolutionaries. We don't go along with the culture. We counter the culture. I mean, think about the attitudes toward women in in an Islamic culture. We say that Muslim women are oppressed, that they're uh, hidden, that they're silenced. And so... In an Islamic culture, what the Bible has to say about marriage would be seen as radically liberal. And then think about the attitudes toward toward women in, say, Western Europe. We would say that secular women there are probably liberated. Uh, They're probably free. They're probably empowered. And in a Western European culture, what the Bible says about women in a Christian marriage might seem radically conservative. I love what Tim Keller, a pastor in Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York, has to say. He goes, the church looks right-wing to the left, and the church looks left-wing to the right. The idea is that Christian faith doesn't come from the left or the right. Christian faith comes from above. And so in some cultures, what the Bible says about women in a marriage could be seen as radically liberal. In other cultures, it might be seen as incredibly conservative. And I recognize that right here in Northeast Ohio, you might be tempted to think that what the Bible says about marriage is incredibly demanding to husbands and incredibly oppressive to women. But we are not people that take our cues from the culture. We've been called to be radically biblical, and that means that we're going to be countercultural. All right, with that in mind, let's just dive into the Scriptures. Let's see what the Scriptures have to say. Verse 18 starts out this way. Be filled with the Spirit. This is where peace in a marriage actually starts. 
is if husbands and wives would just wake up every day and say, okay, Lord, fill me with your spirit today. And if you would pray that prayer all day, every day, then what's going to happen is you're going to begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit in your relationship. And the fruit of the Spirit, it says in Galatians chapter 5, is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Sometimes followers of Jesus uh, go to a retreat or a conference center or a special church service and they're supposedly uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit. All right, I'm filled with the Spirit now. And fuck it for me to question anybody's experience like that. But as a man who has been in the ministry since, I can't believe this, 1979, okay, 1979, I have noticed that some Christians who say, well, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, treat their spouses with heartbreaking acts of disrespect. So don't tell me that you've had some kind of a supernatural experience with the Holy Spirit if your home is not filled with love and joy and peace. So all of this starts with being filled with the Spirit, really filled with the Spirit, not having some pseudo experience. Verse 21. Then it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so here's our word, submit, the S word. Some translations say be subject. And so don't miss this. Before the Bible ever says wives submit to your husbands, it says submit to one another. So submission is not just a woman's thing. And submission is not just a man's thing. Submission is a Christian thing. It's the attitude that we're all supposed to have toward one another. Now, there's a way that submission plays itself out in the role of the wife, and that's different than the way submission plays itself out in the role of the husband. But the husband's question has to be, what can I do to demonstrate submission to her by serving her? And her attitude's got to be, what can I do to submit to him by serving him? Now, with that general attitude... How do husbands and wives specifically submit to one another in a way that complements one another? Now, this is compliment with an E, not compliment with an I, although I recommend complimenting with an I in the marriage relationship. But how do we complete one another? That's the idea here. And because this is about that, there are some very specific instructions about how wives are to relate to husbands and husbands to wives. See, you got to make marriage mean Jesus. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me first say what submission is not. Submission does not mean that the wife never opens her mouth and never has an opinion or never gives advice. Submission does not mean that the wife is inferior in any way to the husband. Uh, think about it. Jesus is not inferior to his mother Mary and his father Joseph. Yet it says in Luke chapter 2, he submitted himself to them. Uh, submission does not mean that the wife allows her abilities to be dormant. In fact, Proverbs 31 is a great passage about 
an accomplished woman, and it says that she's capable, that she's into real estate and investments, as well as into sowing and raising kids. Now, I know that this word submission is a hard word for some of you to hear, because some men in some churches have misinterpreted and misapplied this word. It's been wrongly used to oppress and abuse women. And some women in this congregation have been hurt deeply by men who have used this passage in a very self-serving kind of way. And let me say loud and clear, we stand against the oppression and the abuse and the suffocation of women. That has absolutely no place in the church of Jesus Christ and certainly no place in a Christian home. And a man that uses a passage like this to try to manipulate a woman to get her to do something that's wrong or something against her will is actually sinning against God. So the submission of a wife is to be a deeply spiritual thing. Because look again at the verse. A wife submits to her husband as to the Lord. A wife looks at submission to her husband as an act of obedience primarily to the Lord Jesus Christ and not primarily to her husband. Now, why should she do this? Verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. So, again, this is about that. Every home needs a leader. And God has established things in such a way that the responsibility falls to the man. Again, why? This is about that. The husband is to reflect the leadership role that Christ has with the church. And we're not talking about who takes care of the checkbook or who should wash the dishes or who should vacuum the carpet or who should cut the grass. Ephesians 5 isn't talking about chores. It's talking about leadership. It's talking about initiative. And in too many marriages, the wife has had to assume the initiating role, the leadership role. Not because necessarily she wants the position, but, but she's kind of afraid this car is about to crash because my husband has fallen asleep at the wheel. So the idea is like husbands, take on that leadership responsibility. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay. In, in everything? <laughs> yes, everything. Everything that is not in conflict with God's will. Okay, so submit here can't mean just like unconditional or unthinking obedience, um, if you think about it. In, in Acts chapter 5, there's a famous passage where the, the followers of Jesus are asked to do something that is contrary to God's will, and they say, well, we've got to obey God rather than man. No human authority should be obeyed unthinkingly. If you're asking me to do something that God says not to do, or if you're asking me not to do something that God says to do, then I've got to obey God rather than man. So if a husband says to a wife, hey, help me rob this bank, 
she's got to say no. And if a husband says after he has hit his wife or abused his wife, don't tell anybody. Don't call the cops. A wife has to say no. You're, you're to be subject to your husband like Christ is to the church, and Christ never abuses the church. He never hurts the church. And He never leads the church to do anything that is contrary to the Father's will. Wives, you've got opinions. Please share them. The, the best CEOs in the world Listen to their CFOs and their COOs before they make decisions. And husbands, we, we need our wives' voices, don't we? Amen? Husbands, we need to hear our wives' voices, don't we? Amen? Amen. All right, that's better. <laughs> and if you can't come to an agreement, then God wants the husband to assume a very sobering responsibility, and that's to cast the deciding vote. And since this is about that, wives, when you submit, you are showing the watching world the way the church is to be towards Christ, following His leadership. Now, what is it that gives the husband the moral responsibility to lead? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husband, be like Jesus to your wife. You cannot demand leadership in the marriage. You earn leadership in the marriage. And here's how you earn leadership in the marriage. Sacrifice yourself for your wife like Christ has sacrificed himself for the church. Lead like Christ leads the church. Seek your wife's best, even at your own expense. Be a servant leader. See, a husband is not entitled, really, to leadership if he's not loving his wife sacrificially. You want the role of leader? Love your wife sacrificially until she gladly gives you that responsibility. See, the man's role is not about rank. It's about responsibility. It's about sacrifice, not selfishness. His concern is not about himself. His concern is about his wife. He's not like a big man when he's giving orders or bossing his wife around or getting his own way. See, the baddest man in the room is the one who meets the needs of his wife. Now, what happens when he leads this way, when he loves this way? Well, he does for his wife what Jesus does for the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So, so Jesus is loving the church. He's loving all of us. And he wants to make us holy and pleasing to his Father. And he's actually helping us sin less. He's using his word, the Bible, to wash and cleanse us and sanctify us. Everything he does is for our good. So there's really no oppression here. This is not possible. And likewise, the husband, just like Jesus does for the church, 
is to help his wife become more and more holy, more and more pleasing to God. So husbands, are you actually opening the Bible with your wife? Are you helping her be washed and cleansed and sanctified by the Scripture? Why would you do that? Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. So what is Jesus doing? He is right now actively fitting all of us for heaven to live with him there. He's working to make us beautiful, dressed in his righteousness alone, spotless to stand before the throne. That's what he's doing. And that's what a husband is supposed to do with his wife. Make her pure. His servant-hearted love for his wife enhances his wife's life. She becomes a woman of splendor. The husband wants her one day to stand before Jesus and hear Jesus say to her, Well done, good and faithful servant. Way to go, daughter of mine. I mean, that's the role of the husband is help my wife hear Jesus say someday, well done. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. So if you're loving your wife well, you're actually helping yourself. You're actually healing yourself. And if you're not loving your wife well, then you're going to be the one who's paying the price. Verse 29, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Jesus cares for his body, the church. He nurtures us. He cherishes us. A few years ago, I, I fell on the ice and I broke my wrist. And... Uh, I'm going, i got to take care of this thing because it hurts. So I went to the doctor and got it x-rayed. Sure enough, it was broken, so it was all mobilized for like six weeks or so. And then I went to physical therapy. I bought a bunch of gadgets to help it get stronger and to be flexible. I babied it, and sometimes I still baby it. I'm trying to take care of this body. I'm trying to nourish and cherish it. Well, that's the way I need to be toward my wife, Mary Ann. Why should we do that? Because we are members, verse 30, of his body. And then we get to that verse, that this is about that verse, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Three things here. Leave, cleave, weave. Leave. It says, leave your father and mother. Now, we're supposed to always honor our fathers and mothers, but... The marriage relationship now takes priority. And some of us probably need to do some apron string cutting in order to show our spouse that we're trying to make him or her more happy than my mom or dad. Leave. Then cleave. And this basically means, it says, um, hold fast to his wife. It means stay put. It means don't divorce. Why? Because this is about that. Your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, and Christ is not going to divorce His church, and a true follower of Jesus never abandons Christ. Leave, cleave, and weave. 
Notice it says the two shall become one flesh. And I've noticed over the years that the health of the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife is a barometer of the health of the emotional and spiritual relationship between them. I mean, if you're having trouble in the bedroom, please get help. Why? Because this is about that. The physical intimacy between a husband and a wife is supposed to reflect the spiritual intimacy that Jesus has with his church. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Make marriage mean Jesus. Verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. When we've talked about marriage in the past, I've kind of used a diagram that, that some people have found to be helpful. A husband can relate to a wife in one of two extremes. A husband can be what you might call the sledgehammer man. He's hard. He's hurtful. He's aggressive. And maybe even abusive. Obviously, the Bible's talking about something other than this. Or the husband could be what you might call the marshmallow man. He's soft. He's pliable. He doesn't take initiative. And when heat happens, the heat of life, he melts. The marshmallow man. And obviously, the Bible's not talking about that. The woman. You might be able to call her, in some cases, a brick wall, a stone wall. She's hard. She's harsh. She's impenetrable. Maybe because she got hurt in the past, she's not going to put up with it anymore. A brick wall woman. Bible's not talking about that. And you've got the doormat woman. Hey, you can walk on me. You can wipe your feet on me. You can step on me. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. And the Bible's not talking about that. So you've got these quadrants where marriage can exist. The sledgehammer brick wall marriage. Sparks are going to fly. This is a war zone. And then you've got the brick wall marshmallow marriage. I mean, we know who wears the pants in this family. And this might appear to be peaceful, but it's not peacemaking, it's peace faking. Because this guy is probably stuffing how he really feels. Then you've got the marshmallow doormat marriage. I mean, these guys can't decide where they're going to go on vacation, right? And again, this might have the appearance of peace, but it's not peace-making, it's peace-faking. And then you've got the sledgehammer doormat marriage. You need to pray for this woman and this guy. Because, again, he might be achieving a kind of peace in the home through his intimidation and abusive leadership, but 
It's not real peace. So that's why we have uh, on the diagram, there's a red zone. You don't want to be there. There's a yellow zone. It's a little bit better. But we want to live in the green zone. Now, before we define the green zone, which is the peace zone, I want to ask you a couple of questions. If you had to plot your parents' marriage, which quadrant would you put them in? Where are they? Got them? You got them? No, you Hey, come on. Show some guts here, people. Put your parents in a zone, all right? You know that they weren't in the peace zone. You got them in a zone? Nod your heads if you got them in a zone. All right, all right. How has that impacted you? How has that shaped you? How has that shaped your marriage? All right, now it gets, for you married couples, <laughs> where do you put your relationship? If you're going to get out into the red or the yellow zone, where do you put your marriage? Hey, I did premarital counseling with our youngest son, Evan. He's getting married July 10th. And we did this exercise. And I said, okay, tell me the truth. Where are you going to put Marianne and me? <laughs> and he put us in the right zone. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but... <laughs> he got us. He got us in the right zone. So where are we supposed to be? Well, obviously in that green zone, in the peace zone. And, and the idea there is husbands lead with tenderness thoughtfulness, respect, a listening ear. And then wives yield with strength, with passion, with, with fire, with a voice. Now, sometimes that zone might not feel like peace. Because if you've got a CEO and a CFO and a COO and they're all saying the same thing, sometimes it's like, hey, wait a minute, we're not really having a good dialogue here. So sometimes there can be conflict, there can be conversation, there can be passion, uh, but you're not faking peace, you're actually making peace. So I want to ask every husband here, what's a change you need to make in your life so that you're actually leading with tenderness. Some of the guys in this room, you actually need to start leading. You got the tenderness part down, but not the leadership part. And others of you here, it might be, well, I got the leadership part down, but not the tenderness part. What's a change you need to make? And wives? What's a change you need to make in order to yield with strength? For some of you, you might have the yielding part down, but not the strength part. Or you might have the strength part down, but not the yielding part. This is what God is calling us to in marriage. Listen, just a few next steps you could take today. One would be come to Christ. Come to Christ. 
See, living with peace in your marriage, it actually starts, as we said earlier, by being filled with the Spirit. But you can't be filled with the Spirit if you don't have a genuine relationship with Christ. So, if you don't know that you know that you have a relationship with Christ, maybe today's the day you start there. On the screen is a prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself as the bridegroom. I admit I've been unfaithful and disrespectful to you, and I don't deserve to be part of the bride of Christ. Yeah, you love me enough to die on the cross for my forgiveness, and you pursued me. Today, I turn from my sin and trust you to be my Savior. I want to be part of your bride. Thank you for nourishing and cherishing me. Help me to submit to you willingly and increasingly from this day forward. For some of you, that's what needs to happen right now, is for you to become part of the bride of Christ. So no magic prayer here. But if this prayer expresses the desire of your heart, then just text the word Jesus to our number, 440-276-5575. Text the word Jesus to that number. And we would love to help you understand what it means to be a part of the bride of Christ. And then I would encourage you to to go to Christ in prayer. We're going to be putting together weekly prayers from these passages of Scripture that we'll be studying as we go through the rest of Ephesians in this War and Peace series. And the prayer for this week is a prayer specifically reflecting on this passage, and it's about marriage. And if you would like that prayer sent to your phone, then text the word PRAYER to that number, 440 446-5575. Just text prayer, and then we'll text you this prayer to your phone every week in this series. And then I'm going to encourage you guys to to talk together. We we have a a couple's conversation for guide, a guide for you guys to be able to use this week starting today. It's, It's pretty simple. It's short. It's sweet. You can pick one up in the foyer. And we'll guide you in conversations about, you know, where you might want to plot yourself in this uh, scenario. So pick one of those up. It's out at the information table. And it'll give you some ideas on conversations that you can have as a couple. All right, one more time. This is about that. (laughs) Marriage is about Christ and the church. So make marriage mean Jesus. I want to take you into a (laughs) premarital counseling room, okay? One of the things that I've been doing lately is helping couples work through what we call the Pixar story spine. Pixar films just kind of follow a pretty predictable pattern. It kind of starts with once upon a time, and every day things are really good. Until one day, things get bad. Something bad happens. And because of that, something else bad happens. And because of that, something worse happens. Until finally, a hero shows up. And saves the day. Usually by personal sacrifice of some kind. And then finally, ever since then, things are good. And what I do with couples is I say, let's start in Genesis chapter 1, 
And let's go all the way to Revelation chapter 22. And let's think about marriage. What's the story spine or the storyline of marriage? And I was working with a couple, Lauren and Dan Moles, a few years ago. Lauren is on staff with us now at the Brunswick campus. And they put together a story spine for their marriage ceremony. And let me just read this to you. Once upon a time, God created Adam. And it was not good for him to be alone. So God created a woman named Eve to be his wife. And he said, wow, finally. And every day they lived in God's garden happily. All was good. There was no sin, no fighting, no selfishness. They were fully connected to God and to each other. And they had all they needed. And they weren't even being tempted. Until one day, they were tempted. And they took the bait. And they were tempted to mistrust God and to make themselves little gods. And they disobeyed God's command. And because of that, they started fighting And they experienced shame and they misplaced blame and they lost the garden and the intimacy that they had with God and with each other. And the wife began to question the husband's leadership and the husband began to abuse his authority. And because of that, all marriages ever since have been filled with problems. Marriages have been filled with unfaithfulness, resentment, lying, independence, unhappiness, and fighting. There is often a lack of honest and open communication between husband and wife. Husbands are filled with pride and act either too aggressively or too passively. And wives are filled with pride and either act unsubmissively or aggressively. Finally, Jesus came. And he died and he rose again. And he has the power to forgive sin and to reconcile husbands and wives to God and to one another. Husbands and wives who will humble themselves, who will repent and receive Jesus and follow him, can live new through the indwelling of Christ's Holy Spirit. And ever since then, husbands and wives who follow Christ can live with an attitude of gratitude toward God and to each other. Marriages can be filled with selflessness and love. Husbands and wives can have true intimacy with one another and with God. And Christ-centered marriages can experience peace and comfort and self-control and unity and joy because Jesus changes everything in marriage. Make marriage mean Jesus. Make it mean Jesus. Now, even if you're not married, this truth can bring you great comfort and joy. Even if you're divorced or separated, or maybe your spouse has already passed on. Even if you're young or old or somewhere in between, Marriage is actually telling you about something about the love that Jesus has for you. Because if you're a follower of Jesus here, you're part of the bride. And I know we guys go, well, I don't like thinking I'm a bride. Get over it. 
It's a good thing to be part of the bride of Christ. This is about that. Jesus chose you to be part of His bride, the church. You are the apple of His eye. He rejoices and sings songs over you. He has clothed you in His robes of righteousness just like a bride is adorned on her wedding day. You are radiant before Him and pure before Him. And He said, I do to you when He died on that cross for you. And so He has made it possible for you to pledge yourself to Him, to be faithful to Him as long as you live. And He's made it possible for you to devote yourself to Him alone. And you know what? He's promised you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never divorce you. You're one with Him. United with Him. And He's given you a gift on your wedding day. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is a guarantee that you're going to be saved forever. And He has said, everything that I have is yours. You can have my love and you can have my peace and you can have my joy and you can have my hope and you can have my purpose and you can have my forgiveness. All that I have is yours. And then you can say to him, I'm going to give all of my possessions to you. And Jesus, you know what? I'm going to take your name. I'm going to call myself from this day forward a Christian, a follower of Christ. And he says, let's celebrate this with a meal together. We call it the Lord's Supper. And you can walk with him, your bridegroom, every single day for the rest of your life. Listen, marriage is about Christ and the church. This is about that. I'm telling you, this mystery is profound. But I'm speaking about Christ and the church. Listen, if you're here and you're part of the bride of Christ... Since Jesus has become your bridegroom and your response is to submit to him, what's an area of life where you've been holding back, you've been holding out, and you've not really given it over to him? Today's your day. Right now, where you sit, you don't have to bow your head or close your eyes. You can say, okay, Lord, I'm yielding this to you. Here, this area of my life, because I'm part of your bride, I'm going to submit to you as my groom. I'm giving it over. Would you do that? Lord, help us to make marriage mean Jesus. For we pray it in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening, friends. If you want to talk about anything that you've heard today, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find contact information and current teaching series on our website at www.cvconline.org.